You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. Because the future of labor's rights in the United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Christmas, Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live to tape online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studios in Huntsville, Alabama. Today we are talking coal miners, cereal makers, baristas, and Adam is giving us a history lesson and more on today's program. Uh, if you want to be the program, uh, want to be part of the program in future episodes, we have a phone number. You can leave us a voicemail at eight four four eight nine nine TVLR. That is eight four four eight nine nine eight eight five seven. You can leave a voicemail anytime, and we might play it on the radio if it's good enough or stupid enough. Right. So if you have good questions, <laughs> our stupid questions, or if you have bad ball stories, our great organizing victories at work, leave us a voicemail. We'd yes. love to listen. If you haven't gotten enough of us, by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us all over the place online. We are on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, at The Valley Labor Report. And just a reminder, your support and the support of our sponsors helps us to stay on the air. If you want to become a sustaining member of the program or make a one-time donation to our December fundraiser, which is still going on, you can you can donate to unionly.io slash o slash tvlr. Again, that web address is unionly.io slash o slash tvlr. Uh, that is a union payment processing site, Union Payment Processing Company. It's very cool. Um, We are currently working with one of their partners to build a new website, and uh, that is going to be union-made as well. We are not only going to have a union bug on our stickers on all of our merch, but also on our website, so we're very happy about that. Uh, To help us keep doing cool stuff like that, support the show. Uh, If you're a member of a union, you should get your local to sponsor the show. Reach out to us for more details about that. We've got several unions on board, and the more we get on board uh, sponsoring the show, the more sustainable this project is, and the further into the future we will be able to uh, bring you the news from a worker, uh, from the worker's perspective and educate the unorganized public about how to get organized. That's what we're doing here on the Valley Labor Report. Yeah, and, and just to mention, uh, many of you may belong to organizations. Uh, we've been blessed to have uh, great groups like the North Alabama DSA and, and various nonprofits uh, yeah. have been willing to sponsor ads. So uh, even if you're not in a union or if your local can't sponsor or they're already sponsoring, uh, mm-hmm. you may you may belong to an organization that would be happy to uh, 
contribute, and we'd love to partner with them. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so our first story today is about the coal miners in Brookwood, our sisters and brothers fighting here in this state. 1,100 coal miners are still on strike in Brookwood, Alabama. Their strike began on April 1st, 2021, over a refusal by the company to even match what workers gave up to save the company when the company went bankrupt in 2015 due to poor management. And, of course, the executives never gave up anything. The executives kept their positions after the company was bought out by New York hedge fund managers. Uh, But the coal miners sacrificed. The coal miners took pay cuts. The coal miners took cuts to their health care and their retirements. And the executives never did. So the coal miners went on strike to at least get some of that back And they came to the bargaining table, the company did, asking for more from the workers, even amid record-breaking profits and record-breaking compensation for executives at this company. We've done a few deep dives into the strike, and we've spoken to many people involved in the strike over the course of last year. We'll do another deep recap in the new year and talk to some more people. But for now, uh, we've got a small update. Uh, Last weekend on Sunday, December the 19th, they had a Christmas party where the children of the striking miners were given every single gift that they requested thanks to donations from the community, from other unions, and from listeners like yourself. Um, Yeah, we're uh, very proud to have hopefully played a small part of that. I know that um, several of us here involved in this program and and in our unions donated to make sure that they had, uh, that those children didn't suffer because of the greed of the company that their parents work for, that they didn't have to go to school uh, next to the children of some scab and talk about how Santa didn't come to my house this year because, as we all know, Santa is a teamster and he supports striking miners. So uh, we're very glad that they were able to make make the uh, you know the wishes of those children come true because this is a very hard time uh, for these families. You know, I mean, just think about what your life would be like uh, nine months on strike. You know, that's a very big commitment and uh, that these folks are still staying strong, uh, you know, fighting the good fight. Um, We need to support them however we can. So very glad. And, you know, these these small things like like a kid, you know, a kid getting a present while their parents are on strike. That it seems to me, I think that can really make or break, uh, you know, the child's perception of of the labor movement, of what their parents are doing. Because, you know, you think about your seven, eight, nine year old kid, your like view of the world isn't very sophisticated, right? <laughs> and so, you know, your parents do this thing and they can, you know, they can tell you all, all that uh, until they're blue in the face about why it's important to fight against corporate greed, why what they're doing is the right thing. But, you know, come Christmas time, if you're the only kid in your class that doesn't have a Christmas present, um, then, you know, that can feel really alienating and that can, uh, and, you know, that can feel, like I, I could see how that would be a bummer, and you wouldn't have a Christmas present because your parents went on strike. Um, and you know, you might not. It might be difficult as a young person, as a very as a small child, to make the connection that it's not because my parents are fighting for what's right. It's because the bosses are keeping what's right from them. You know, so that's so I and and so instead of that, instead of the children, you know, having a terrible Christmas and potentially having bad feelings. They're going to have a good Christmas. They got everything that they asked for. And not only that, they saw 
at this event on Sunday. They saw the community come together. They know that these presents are donated from people all across the country who are supporting their parents and them as they fight corporate greed here in Alabama, uh, you know, connecting people all over the country, all over the world, uh, to make sure that, that these that these children have, uh, you know, that they have a good Christmas. And I think I think that hopefully I'll be able to talk to some of these people, you know, some of these children 20 years from now when they're in a union, when they're on strike, and they can tell about how they remember when they asked for a, you know, I don't know what the kids asked for, like a, you know, they asked for an American Girl doll, or they asked for a new bicycle or something, or or, or they asked for a new video game. And I remember when my parents on strike, I, di- uh, I, I didn't think that I'd get Christmas this year, but the labor movement came together for us. Uh, you know, they, they came through for us, and we were able to have Christmas this year. So I think it's going to make good stories for these people. I think it's going to strengthen their resolve. It's going to make it easier for them to stay out on strike. So very happy to hear that. Yeah, and I think that's what the Christmas spirit is all about, honestly. It's about giving. It's about supporting yes. one another, loving one another. And I think, uh, you know, not just to be on strike that long and to demonstrate that resolve, but to, you know, have the community support, to have that sort of fellowship, uh, I think you're exactly right. It's great that they're going to have that memory instead mm-hmm. of, you know, of course, they're going to remember some tough times right. throughout this. Uh, no doubt. You know, no doubt. But uh, they will remember, like you said, that, mm-hmm. that folks came through around Christmas time. That's what this movement can do and what we should do. So uh, right. shout out to all of the folks who contributed and in, in whatever way you did. Uh, I think that's great. And it's, yeah. You know, it's unfortunate that we don't have a new contract available Mm -hmm. yet for Christmas, but uh, as long as they're on the line, we need to have their back. Right. And other news on that front, it was announced on Tuesday that the UMWA lawyers filed an appeal with the Alabama State Supreme Court to overturn the unconstitutional bans and restrictions on the minor's right to speak and assemble. Justices for the Alabama State Supreme Court are all elected and they are supposed to to protect freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. And our state motto is, we dare defend our rights. So let's hope that these justices take that motto seriously and that they see our rights as the rights of working Alabamians instead of New York hedge fund managers. Because unfortunately, our state motto has for, you know, for, for so long... Basically, since I mean, you know, as its inception uh, <laughs> was, you know, we dare defend the rights of white property owning men. And I think that's a beautiful motto. We dare defend our rights. If we means everybody, right. if we means working people defend our rights against people who would have us starve and work seven days a week, uh, 12 hours a day, down 2,000 miles below the surface of the earth, not get to see our families, not be paid adequately, not get good health care. I think we should defend our rights for people against people like that. Uh, but of course, you know, a lot of our politicians don't see the motto that way. And so while we can hope that the Supreme Court does what's right, um, we do need to prepare for them not doing what's right. And uh, I know that the UMWA has plans for that, and I know that they've got a community that will support them. Uh, so we will be updating y'all on that. Well, and I think this is a lesson how uh, you can't rely on just the legal fights alone. And obviously, mm-hmm. uh, UMWA has not. They have they've taken the ultimate action right. of a strike. They've built community coalitions. Uh, they've gone to Wall Street uh, to protest uh, out front of the hedge fund managers. So. 
you know, I think there's a tendency sometimes in uh, labor unions as institutions that we get mm. really tied into legalese. We get tied into uh, lawyers and courtroom fights. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the law is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Most of them are not written for us as normal, everyday right. working people. Uh, and even to the extent where we have some protections and rights in law, well, that's only as good as the judge that is ruling on it. Right. Uh, and we've had such a, a massive amount of anti-employee, pro-employer judges uh, in the state of Alabama and across the country that, you know, it, it's a stacked deck. So while, I, you know, again, I applaud UMWA for taking this step. It's, it's necessary. It's something that has to be done. Um, we can't just sit back as union members uh, and hope that we can win our victories in courtrooms. Right. Because lawyers will not save us. Only we can do that collectively. Yeah, they're not called uh, the boss's courts for nothing. Right. So. The Kellogg strike is over. It was announced on Tuesday that members voted to ratify the tentative agreement from the BCTGM press release. They uh, highlighted the new five-year collective bargaining agreement. There are no takeaways, no concessions. They say no permanent two-tier system, but the two-tier system is still in place. There is just a there's a more concrete path out of the lower tier, even though it is still there. Uh, A clear path, like they say, to regular full-time employment. This one is very important. A plant-closing moratorium. There will be no plant shutdowns for the duration of this contract through October 2026. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. uh, Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to see that. A significant increase in the pension multiplier and maintenance of cost-of-living raises. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's not bad. Uh, it's not all sunshine and roses, though, of course. Uh, Dave Jameson, he's a labor reporter for the Huffington Post. He spoke to Trevor Beidelman. He is the president of BCTGM Local 3G in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Dave said that uh, Beidelman is disappointed in the contract to end the Kellogg strike. He says that the vote was close, although he didn't have the exact numbers, and that he thought Kellogg's threat to permanently replace striking workers turned a lot of votes, um, which is why it's so important that we uh, <laughs> that we make it illegal to hire permanent replacements, that we make it illegal to um, to to fire workers for striking. Uh, and that was, of course, the original intention of the National Labor Relations Act. But o- over the course of the decades, as you know, uh, the class war from above has continued and bosses have continued to attack and attack and attack organized labor. Uh there were people that were appointed by anti-worker forces on the National Labor Relations Board that construed a right to uh, hire permanent replacements out of thin air. I mean, it was because in the National Labor Relations Act itself, it says nothing in this act shall be... I mean, for one, it explicitly makes firing workers for striking illegal. It's illegal to fire people who strike. Okay, Um, but they (laughs) they created this fiction that somehow permanently replacing somebody while they are on strike is different. And that's legal. 
Um, and Jennifer Abruzzo, who is the new uh, NLRB, National Labor Relations Board General Counsel, appointed by uh, President Biden, she said uh, she um, has released a press statement on this saying that uh, she quoted the National Labor Relations Act, where it says that nothing in this act shall be construed as uh as as negating the right of working people to strike or something like that, it, you know that that's a paraphrase, but it was something like that. I mean, it was the, the language of of the NLRA is very clear, and so she is actually basically petitioning unions to challenge that permanent replacement doctrine uh, now, which is very good. But um, uh, uh, but you know, in the meantime, Congress can always go ahead and pass a law that says that's illegal. Uh, of course, the NLRB should reverse its stance on permanent replacements, but Congress can always be proactive. And uh, we have seen the results of not being proactive on the part of Congress because, of course, uh, the Supreme Court in 1970 ruled that women have the right, the constitutional right, to choose what happens to their bodies. Uh, and now that right is is at stake. And how many years have Democrats had a trifecta government since 1970? How many years have Democrats controlled the House, the Senate, and the presidency without passing a law that codified Roe versus Wade? I mean, years have gone by without that happening. Um, and now... Roe v. Wade could very well be overturned without a federal law in its place to protect women's right to choose. So, you know, uh, uh, that's an illustration of how important it is that that lawmakers are actually proactive on these things where the law is even remotely. Of course, the law is not actually, you know, muddled or or, um, you know, uh, not clear. The law is clear, but we can make it more clear. <laughs> yeah. And, and employers are always going to take any sort of wiggle room they can find. Right. And if they can get away with it, they will do it and they will keep doing it. And, right. you know, that is such a big piece of leverage, the ability to talk to uh, a workforce and threaten them right. that, hey, if you guys go out on strike, uh, we are going to replace you. You mm-hmm. won't, you know, it won't matter what kind of, uh, you know, proposals you have because there won't be a job for you. Yeah. Uh, that is such a big piece of leverage. Um, you know, I, I think one thing we've seen in this year is a little bit of the shift in the labor market. And, mm-hmm. and I think that maybe that sort of leverage has de- decreased recently. Uh, but, you know, as we see here, straight from the Kellogg strike, it's still a factor and it's still right. impacting people's ability to hold a line and, and negotiate the kind of agreement they really believe is fair. Right, right. Uh, WWMT Channel 3 in Michigan talked to some members who felt similarly unhappy. Uh, they derided the retention of the two-tier system of employment, which is, of course, terrible. They were saying that that is a way to divide and conquer, which is true. That's why it was invented. Uh, it was invented to get a bad contract for new members in while still retaining benefits for people who have been working there for a while to try to ease in these concessions and, you know, uh, stealing more from working people, uh, stealing more of the value that they create for the company for themselves to uh, fill the pockets of these people at the top. Uh, Connor Lewis, he's a member of the labor journalism collective Strike Wave, which everybody should check out. It is thestrikewave.com. He had a good analysis of the conclusion of the strike on Twitter. Uh, It seemed to me that he struck a good balance. That the result of the strike was not necessarily a slam dunk, but it's clearly a better contract than they would have gotten 
if they hadn't struck. Um, strikes work, but they don't necessarily work miracles, you know, as he said. And uh, But breaking the endless cycle of concessionary bargaining is a big deal. You know, the fact that this contract did not have any new concessions in a manufacturer, like a, you know, like these are just manufacturing workers, right? I mean, just manufacturing workers, that's not the right phrase but still you know the the manufacturing workers have for decades and decades only been able to beat back the only been able to defend themselves against attacks by the employer they have only been able to retain and they have taken contracts back to the members and said we only lost this much this year we only lost this much this year, as opposed to how much they wanted to take from us. That every single contract, basically since 1980, has been that way, especially in the manufacturing sector. And so with this strike, like in so many other strikes that we've seen this year, that, that endless cycle of concessionary bargaining has been defeated. And that's a big deal. Um, you know, they didn't get everything that they wanted, uh, and it's, you know, it's very difficult to turn everything around years and decades of concessionary bargaining in one contract cycle. So he said, uh, he concluded that whether or not this is a big victory is going to be measured in large part on what happens in the next contract. Do the members of this union take heart in what they've won and use the next five years, which five years is a very long time for a contract cycle. And, and you know, um, uh, 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 Connor mentions, uh, he has mentioned in some of his other writing that maybe instead of kind of fetishizing the removal of the no-strike clause, we can talk about other things that are easier to put in contracts, like having shorter contract cycles to increase militancy as opposed to immediately going for the no-strike clause, which would be great. Contracts shouldn't have no-strike clauses, but it's going to be a lot easier to get a boss to agree to a three-year contract or a two-year contract or a one-year contract than it is to get them to take, than it would be to get them to take uh, no-strike clauses out, which are also no-strike, no-lockout clauses. So, you know, I mean, that's that's worth noting as well. But, you know, are they going to are they going to take these five years to to work towards, to plan on striking again, or to plan on making a credible strike threat so that they can win more in 2026? Or are they going to kind of sit back and not prepare and just let let things happen to them and, you know, not kind of, you know, it, it's up to the members, it's up to the, to the union what happens in 2026 and whether or not this is a big victory is, is like Connor said, it's going to, it's going to be dependent on what happens in 2026. Yeah. And I a hundred percent agree with that. And I, I like the way Connor phrased that because, you know, one of the most essential rules of organizing is always be organizing. Uh, right. You cannot rest on one contract or one victory or one defeat, uh, frankly. So I, I think that's very uh, that's a very good way of looking at it. We can't really judge uh, the success or failure of a contract in isolation. You have right. to see the trends. And, and as you mentioned, uh, so many of us, regardless of industry, have been in this defensive posture for decades now. Right. And you know, we can't expect one strike or even one strike wave to undo decades of globalization and outsourcing um, and, and neoliberal policies that that's, you know, not very realistic in terms of one particular labor action. But right. I, what I saw was a moratorium on plant closings. 
Mm-hmm. That's big. Uh, and I think that's where you can start to build momentum for right. the future. So uh, I really hope that's what we see. And, and like mm-hmm. you said, now we have a few years. Uh, right. So hopefully the Kellogg workers will build on the relationships they forged here, um, you know, build on the experiences they've had. Right. Uh, they know some of what works. They know some of what didn't work. Uh, right. So hopefully they're going to move in much, much stronger to enforce this contract, to hold Kellogg's accountable uh, and to build to something even better in the future. Right. Right. Exactly. Starbucks workers are continuing the fight against exploitation by their employer with new elections being filed by workers, it seems like, every single week. This week, a new election petition was filed by workers at a Seattle location where uh, company headquarters is located. It's not the actual, the I don't think it's the founding location or whatever, but that's their city, Seattle. According, again, to Dave Jameson, a labor reporter for the Huffington Post, there are now three new elections filed in the Buffalo area, one in Mesa, Arizona, two in Boston, and one in Seattle. This is this is huge. I mean, that's seven union elections at Starbucks locations across the country, from sea to shining sea, from Seattle to Buffalo, New York. Uh, that is going... That is... That is a lot more difficult for an employer to fight off seven union elections than it is to fight off one union election. And why is, of course, you know, while it may seem like a company has unlimited resources and, and, you know, compared to somebody like you or I, Howard Schultz does have, you know, unlimited resources. But when you start stretching those resources across seven locations from literally the east coast to the west coast you are eventually going to stretch those resources thin and it, and they only have you know i mean resources only do so much they only have so many executives that they can send in to badger these employees uh, they only have so many lawyers on retainer they only have they can only bring in howard schultz so often right and and tell his workers that they work in a holocaust uh <laughs> center um you know so so uh this is fantastic and the more uh you know the more locations that we see, especially right now, as so many are filing for elections, this is the time to do I mean, for, for just a, a consortium of reasons, this is the time to do it. But for Starbucks specifically, while you've got seven other locations going, if you're a Starbucks employee and you've been thinking about unionizing, now is the time. Workers across the country have got Starbucks on their heels. They have won one election it, by all accounts, it looks like they will win a second and they lost a third. They are two for three and now they have seven more elections. By the over the next couple of months, we could be looking at half a dozen, six or seven uh, uh, union Starbucks across the country. This is a big deal. So like I said, if you are a Starbucks worker, under the sound of my voice, and you're listening to this, you need to get in touch with Workers United. They are an SEIU affiliate. They are the union that the Starbucks workers across the country, all of these locations are working with. Um, And so it is not too late to become the first Starbucks location to have an election in the South. So contact Workers United, the union that the Starbucks workers have chosen to affiliate with in the South. You can do that here. S Region Unite at bellsouth.net. The telephone number is 
306-8856. Again, the email is sregionunite at bellsouth.net. The telephone number is 779-306-8856. Of course, if you've got any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to the show. You can DM us on Facebook or Twitter. We'll do what we can to walk you through the process and get you connected to the right people. And if anybody from Workers United is listening and has a campaign in the area, uh, this one uh, uh, for Starbucks or any other campaign for that matter, consider this an open invitation to talk about this campaign or any other. Uh, We always want to publicize uh, stories like this as much as we can. So Absolutely. And folks, if they can do it in Buffalo, they can do it in Alabama, in Mississippi, in Georgia, and across the South. Uh, it's, It's possible. And, yep. and I'd love to see it happen. 2022 used to be the year that the South uh, rocks Starbucks. That's right. That's right. Let's go to my favorite segment every single week. Last week in Southern Labor, we bring you what happened last week in the South in the labor movement. Courtesy of Jonah Furman from his newsletter, Who Gets the Bird? You can read about what happened across the United States in the labor movement. On his newsletter, whogetsthebird.substack.com. Highly recommend it. Could not recommend it enough. Uh, So in new organizing, 18 workers at Zercher Tire in Columbia, Missouri are unionizing with Teamsters, local 833, 11 acoustic and electronic warfare operators. For a defense contractor at the Jacksonville and Mayport, Florida, Naval Air Stations are unionizing with what appears to be an independent union. Uh, Small military-based defense contractor unions being a consistent target of the machinists and operating engineers, one wonders if one of them will get involved. Uh, Acoustic electronic warfare operator is not uh, a job position we normally see in these listings, so (laughs) uh, interesting. Yeah. CWA has filed for separate elections at 11 field offices of the National Autobahn Society. After winning their campaign to unionize the national office staff uh, this week, 122 staffers voted 86 to 14 to join the union from Anchorage, Arkansas to Durham, North Carolina. That's Anchorage, Alaska. We're we're talking about oh, nationwide. Man. Uh, so Alaska. the various the field offices um, of the Audubon Society, and there again, we've seen this trend of uh, nonprofits and, and yes. orga- new organizing in those sectors, and I think that's very very important. Yeah, twenty two workers for airport count uh, for airport contractor. Prime Flight Cargo in El Paso, Texas, voted 8-0 to to join Teamsters, local 745. Twelve power plant workers for Ameren in Steedman, Missouri, voted 8-3 to to join Operating Engineers, local 148. Twenty workers at Comcast in Florence, Alabama, voted to decertify their union, IBW local 558, in a 6-9 vote. Security guards, we had 130 security guards at the Dominion Energy Power Station in Surrey, Virginia. They are unionizing with the National Union of Nuclear Security Officers, though obviously at least one other security union will likely try to get in on the action. There are 44 security guards at the Lake City Army 
ammunition plant in Independence, Missouri. They voted 11 to 6 to join SPFPA over the PSOs United. In strikes and bargaining, the Steelworkers Local 40 strike of 450 workers at Special Metals Nickel Alloy Plant in Huntington, West Virginia, is going to last through the holidays. The company is looking to gut seniority and triple the health insurance premiums, among other attacks. Meanwhile, of course, the 1,100-strong UMWA strike at Warrior Met in Brookwood, Alabama. The other insanely long strike, it rolls on, Kim Kelly went on The Takeaway to tell the story that she's been covering closely the entire time. Uh, the only other news that he's seen is a group of 15 senators signed a letter calling on the company to settle the strike, which is cool, but uh, it's been over eight months, so we need to see a little bit more than that. Uh, the producers of Nefarious... They are filming in Oklahoma City. They have replaced the workers who are striking for recognition through IATSE Local 484. UFCW Local 455 in Texas continues to teeter on the edge of a massive 14,000 worker strike, but the rumor is that a settlement is in the works. School bus drivers in Chesterfield County, South Carolina kept the school bus driver strike wave alive this week, uh, striking over low wages and the impacts of a driver shortage, saying we need to be heard. A tentative agreement has been reached between the school district teachers uh, between the school district and teachers in Brevard County, Florida. Um, and not in the South, but big enough. And this is in the South, actually. The 1,400-strong uh, BCTGM strikers have ratified their tentative agreement. Uh, like we said, there has been some uh, opposition to it, of course. But uh, the ultimate decision with whether or not to stay and go on strike rests with the workers that are affected. And they voted to uh, accept the agreement. UAW 2110 remains on the largest strike in the country at Columbia University. The university is still actively threatening to replace the student workers and soliciting other desperate academic workers to take their jobs in the spring. And finally, and this is huge, after a whopping 284 days, the longest strike in Massachusetts history, that of the Massachusetts Nurses Association at St. Vincent Hospital in Worcester, Massachusetts, has a tentative agreement. For months, the final sticking point has been whether or not corporate giant tenants' vindictive refusal to restore strikers to their, odd, to their old jobs, whether or not that would happen, and the deal was apparently hammered out via Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. In a totally bizarre aside, the local news reported that the scab nurses had collected enough cards to unionize, but were disavowed by uh, whatever field organizer's boss at <laughs> a at AFSME got wind of it. Um, that was wild. But That's strange. Yeah. The scab nurses are going to be out of a job as the striking nurses uh, take back their old position. So that is very cool, and we like to see that Labor Secretary Marty Walsh got in on the action and mediated that strike. Uh, 
Let's see the same thing in Alabama. Absolutely. I would like to see more details on that and exactly kind of how he weighed in. And, and yeah, that absolutely would be interesting. Hope it's just uh, one of many to come uh, yeah. because it certainly can't hurt to have the full force of the federal government behind you uh, as you take on a powerful company. Right. And even just having them weigh in on your side can help in, in things like that. So absolutely. So that that's definitely a huge story. Um, and and uh, since Marty Walsh has shown a willingness to do such a thing, we sincerely hope that something like that happens uh, with this Warrior Met strike in Brookwood, Alabama, because something something has got to give that that's some uh, support for those workers is desperately needed. Um, so we are going to go to a break here really quick. And when we get back, Adam is going to give us a history lesson on the Christmas Day truce during World War One. So we're going to be uh, going to a break really quick. This is the Valley Labor Report, and we will be right back. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. Work sucks? We know but you can make it better by organizing with your fellow workers. For more information, call or text the Huntsville Industrial Workers of the World at 256-651-6707. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855 617 
888-789-9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. The Valley Labor Report. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. Here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. We are Alabama's only union talk radio show. And Adam was a history teacher, still a history teacher at heart. And so he has a history lesson for us about the Christmas Day truce during World War One, So, Adam, take it away. Sure. Uh, you know, I thought it was timely, considering this is uh, our Christmas Day episode, that we have something uh, in Christmas history to talk about uh, that relates to the labor movement. And yes, uh, I can find a connection between what happened in Europe in 1914 uh, and us union folks here in Alabama in 2021. So for uh, those of you not familiar with it, uh, World War I, of course, uh, was not called World War I at the time because they didn't know there'd be a second one. Uh, The Great War started in uh, 1914, and you saw the two big sides. Uh, The Central Powers were, of course, Germany, Austria-Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire. On the other side, you had uh, the British Empire, the French Empire, the Russian Empire, uh, the United States would join later in 1917. And in the winter of 1914, you saw something pretty remarkable, which was a wave of some spontaneous, some loosely organized truces uh, along the battlefield, uh, mostly along the Western Front, uh, involving German troops with some British and and French and Belgian troops, Uh, but there were reports also out east uh, among the Russians versus the Austrians. And, you know, you may recall, if if you know much of anything about World War I, it's probably trenches. That's Mm. sort of what's in the popular, um, you know, imagination about this war. We know about trenches. We know about no man's land, uh, which was in between the two opposing sides of trenches. And 
In the lead up to Christmas of 1914, um, it, it's worth thinking about the fact that these folks had, in some cases, been on the line for half a year. Uh, mm. When the war started, most people, you know, from rank and file troops to uh, government leaders to the media, most folks thought this was going to be one of those wars that was over by Christmas. Um, so, you know, they were they were settled down after months of some of the most horrific fighting uh, we had ever seen, because this was really the latest, greatest 20th century technology industrialization applied to human warfare. The full scope of, of developed capitalism being used to slaughter other human beings. Um, and so it's kind of a, a bizarre thing to even think about Christmas, much less celebrate Christmas uh, in, in the context of such brutality. But what really speaks to me as a worker, as a member of the labor movement, um, is the idea that those of us who work for a living have a lot in common. And we have a lot in common regardless of where we're born, our race, our gender, our nationality, religion. Um, and, and this Christmas Day truce, I think, was really an example of this being demonstrated in the real world uh, under the most you know, difficult circumstances. So uh, running up to Christmas Eve and, and throughout Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, you saw uh, soldiers on various sides begin to broker these truces. Uh, you had folks who were literally putting up Christmas trees on the top of their trenches uh, and lighting candles. There were guards who were singing Christmas hymns, Christmas songs. Um, and like I said, some were, were very spontaneous. It just sort of popped off and, and you know, f folks joined in. Uh, in some cases, it was, you know, more of a, hey, let's just take a break. Nobody shoots at each other for a while while we bury our dead. Uh, because as you can imagine, uh, after all this fighting, Unfortunately, you had uh, not a lot of time to go pay your respects and actually bury your fallen comrades. So there was some appetite on each side to at least have that peace to, you know, uh, to really gather themselves, to bury their dead. Uh, but you had this real spirit of Christmas uh, that was taking place uh, in, in various parts of the Western Front. And... In some cases, uh, there, you know, there were reports of German troops who were actually playing soccer with English troops. Um, you had reports of folks exchanging food, you know, everything from, you know, meat and bread to actual chocolate cake and, and more like holiday items. Uh, of course, there was a, an exchange of booze and, and tobacco. Uh, and, and it's really, it's a miraculous thing to imagine these folks who had been firing machine guns at each other only hours before moved both by the spirit of Christmas, moved by the desire to not be shot at for a while, frankly. Um, you know, whatever you want to chalk it up to, there was this brief moment in time where what are supposed to be enemies, mortal enemies, uh, we're able to walk across the battlefield and just enjoy some fellowship with each other. 
Um, and the, one of the things that really stuck with me is is the reports that came out afterwards from some of these soldiers who participated, who talked about the way in which the propaganda they had been fed clearly wasn't accurate. Um, of course, regardless of what side you were on in the war, you were expected to believe the other side were less than human, uh, just vicious, evil, bloodthirsty, uh, whatever you can imagine, that's what you were supposed to, to think about with these folks. And so here you had French troops and British troops gathering and, uh, you know, enjoying some Christmas drinks and Christmas uh, songs with German troops and realized, you know what, these are human beings just mm. like us. Uh, and those are some of the, you know, the most moving reports uh, of when you actually sat down or uh, stood around and, and you'd exchange some real human connection with these folks. Um, and, and so some of these rank and file soldiers were able to write back to their family, write back home that uh, the newspapers had been lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the newspapers had, you know, clearly not told the full story. Right. And. As you can imagine, uh, this did not go over so well with the governments at the time <laughs> in the high command. Um, you know, again, regardless of what side, German, British, French, uh, the officers were not nearly as keen on this as the enlisted folks. Uh, your rank and file soldiers were definitely eager to have a break from getting shot at. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of these folks were, were just kids, basically, teenagers, just now starting their lives. Um, and by December, of course, you, you've called up reserves after half a year of fighting. So you had folks who had families at home. These are fathers, in some cases, probably grandfathers on the front lawn. Uh, to, so to have that break, of course, threatened the you know, coercion of the high command. Because again, you don't want to... You don't want your troops to believe that the other side is a human being just like you because then they may start to question, well, why are we really doing this? You know, if this if, if Hans is just like me, you know, he wants a beer, he wants a uh, chocolate cake, he wants to see his family for Christmas, mm. he misses his kids, you know, why do I have to go blow him up tomorrow? What is it about? Why are we doing this? Uh, and, and that struck fear into the governments at the time, and, and it was, you know, a special point of emphasis in the remaining years of the war to prevent any sort of truce like this from happening again. And, you know, it's not to say that it happened everywhere, of course, uh, you know, and, and there was some that was probably more friendly than others. Uh, but it really, to me, is a lesson in how we as human beings can connect across the divisions that are propped up. Because at the end of the day, none of us get to choose where we're born. Um, you know, nationalities and countries are all human creations over the centuries and, and millennia. Um, but these folks were able to transform, you know, a, a moment of just utter, utter violence and depravity into um, a moment of love and, and solidarity and Christmas spirit. And so that is a lesson that I think inspires those of us uh, who've come after. And I think it's uh, certainly a, a lesson to 
scare <laughs> those in charge of armies and navies. And, uh, you know, the thing about that war is, is that it was a war of imperialists. It, it was a war of capitalists, a war of bankers. Uh, it was not a war for freedom and democracy and all mm. the other, you know, buzzwords were told. Um, you know, that's not what that war was about. Many right. folks realized that at the time. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that the fighting went on so much farther after that. But uh, another interesting thing about that was that these truces in some cases lasted past Christmas. Because, again, mm. lo and behold, you've now had a day to to rest, to not get shot at. And mm -hmm. that feels kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, never been in battle myself. And uh, so I, I can't speak from experience, but I'm going to go ahead and guess it's better to uh, not get shot at. Uh, yeah. So... Well, I mean, from I mean, from my experience, it's nice to j like if you're arguing like with your spouse or something, it's nice to get a brief from them. right. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I can imagine actually, yeah. getting shot at. Absolutely, it would, you, you know, know so if the you stakes got, are a bit higher. Right? I, and I'll say, if you got any arguments at home, Christmas truce. You know, this this have a Christmas truce. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, I think we in the labor movement can never forget internationalism. So this is my long way of making this point here. And why why is this relevant to me as a worker and a union member in the state of Alabama in the year 2021? We as workers are all tied together. Our fates and our destinies are intertwined regardless of where we're born. And we see this here in Alabama because we are in many ways functioning the ways in which the global south functions. Our relationship to Yankee capital and, you know, the broader system of capitalist economics, you know, the South in, in America is used as a place uh, to exploit. Mm. They, the reason these, these big companies love to come to a place like Alabama is not because they love sweet tea and biscuits uh, right. as much as they should. <laughs> we all love the South and, and the many beautiful things about this place. But that's not why Toyota and Amazon are coming here. They're coming here because they see an opportunity to exploit a cheaper workforce, a less educated workforce, a more compliant workforce. Alabama is, is leverage hmm. for these companies. And we discussed earlier in the show the leverage that companies have by being able to replace striking workers. And in many ways, the South... Alabama in particular, but across the American South, we have functioned as that leverage for employers. Right. Um, workers in Ohio and New York and California, at the, in the back of their mind, they have to be uh, aware that, that they could lose the fight in their workshop, in their plant, uh, in their industry, because their employer can pack up and move down south. And we've mm. seen this happen where good union jobs – uh, from the Midwest, the Northeast, out West, they are moved down South in a non-union, anti-union, hostile environment to unions. Uh, and we've seen where there are regions in this country uh, and, and certainly in this state that resemble underdeveloped nations mm -hmm. more than they resemble what is the wealthiest superpower on the planet. And so... Again, employers can, can exploit these dynamics by going to these areas. Uh, you know, there are places here in Alabama where uh, 
even even a crappy manufacturing job that would be insulting to mm -hmm. the union members in other parts of the country uh, may look golden compared right. to the other options uh, in, in some counties and some regions. You know, if your your only option is a Dollar General, a Walmart, or you know this auto manufacturing supply chain, where no, you're not given the benefits and pay other other states receive, but maybe it's a dollar or two better than Dollar General. Right. That's the situation that we're dealing with in the South. As long as we are essentially a resource for employers to use as leverage against our brothers and sisters across the country, we'll never be able to get ahead. Mm -hmm. And we see the same dynamics play out in terms of foreign labor. You know, if Alabama gets too expensive, well, then they'll pack up and move to Mexico. Right. And if that gets too expensive, they'll pack up and go to Honduras. And so the answer is that we have to organize everywhere. Hmm. Yeah, and that that is the fundamental principle on which unionism rests and gains its power because in a singular workplace, those dynamics exist as well. The reason that collective bargaining agreements are going to be better than you can get with individual bargaining agreements is that in the same way that Alabamians can be leveraged against New Yorkers in the same way that Hondurans can be leveraged against Alabamians, Sarah can be leveraged against Jamal. Or, you know, uh, you, you know, you get what I'm saying. Individually, working people can be leveraged against each other. And even just our ignorance can be leveraged against ourselves uh, when we don't know how much the people working next to us on the line or in the cube next to us or in the office down the hall, how much they make, how much they're compensated. And that is... Uh, and so instead of only having the leverage that you bring to the table as an individual with your labor, when you bring together an entire workforce's leverage, you're going to get a much better deal. And that is why in regions of the country with higher union density, you see higher wages because where more and more people are doing that, that even helps people who are not in unions. People in non-union right. workplaces benefit. I mean, study after study has borne this out, that people in non-union workplaces benefit when they have a higher union density rate in their geographic area. And so, of course, we can extrapolate this principle internationally because uh, and 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 say that where working people come together across the globe working people will be better off because of course the world was not made better by our imperial exploits in world war 1 or in any of the imperial exploits after world war 2 of course the world wasn't made better. The countries that we invaded weren't made better. Our country wasn't made better. The world was not made better. Lives were wasted. People were murdered uh, for no reason except to pit people against each other. In the in his condemnation of the Vietnam War, uh, Martin Luther King said that poor black boys are being sent overseas to shoot and be shot at by poor brown boys. And that just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. What do we care as far as 
They have every right to have whatever sort of political and economic system that they want to in, in other countries. And we have the right to have our own political and economic system here. And of course, we would say that people in other countries do not have the right to impose their will on us because they don't like it. And so we don't have that we don't have that authority morally, but as working people, as working people, it does not benefit us to to do this, to impose our will on other people, because we have more in common with immigrant workers in the United States, with foreign workers in other countries, than we're ever going to have in common with a Bill Gates or a Jeff Bezos or the Koch family or the Waltons. These people are in a totally different strata than we are, and the only way that we are going to make our lives better is by coming together and taking some of what they have stolen back from us and helping people across the globe do the same. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's it. We as a class of people, the working class, we have to organize uh, regardless of distinctions, regardless of borders and, and race, ideologies. Um, you know, there's there's been a huge uh, sentiment in this country throughout our history and certainly recently to scapegoat foreign workers, to scapegoat immigrants. Um, and we even see this sometimes within our own labor movement uh, where there's, you know, some nativist sentiments from time to time. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we as members of the working class, as you said, we have more in common with each other than we do the owners. Um, and, and I will certainly consider uh, our fellow workers in Honduras and Thailand and, you know, across across the world as our brothers and sisters. Um, Jeff Bezos is not my brother, uh, but right. but those folks are uh, because that's our relationship to this world and to the economy. And I think it's, you know, that's why this Christmas truce speaks to me, um, because if they even however short lived were mm -hmm. able to set down their arms and join together in their common interest. I think that's an example that we can all uphold. And certainly, uh, to sort of tie in to your last bid here, you know, the military industrial complex is the driver of this economy. Uh, mm. And certainly here in the Tennessee Valley, where we're reporting from, you know, the war economy is what keeps the dollars flowing. Um, and I, I understand folks have to make a living. Um, Again, vast majority of us, we don't own property. We don't own capital. We have to sell our labor in exchange for little green pieces of paper uh, that we use to survive and feed our families. So, you know, I certainly understand folks have to find a job wherever they can. And But, you know, there is something uh, there is something pretty immoral uh, about the fact that our entire economy uh, certainly in this region, is so driven by the blood money of warfare. Mm. And, you know, th that is the polar opposite right. of the Christmas spirit uh, yeah. th that I think we should all remember. So, And it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, just because it's been this way doesn't mean it. I mean, think about how much, how much further ahead we would be if the if instead of spending money building bombs that are either going to kill people overseas that we don't know that are 
in large part innocent civilians um, or that will never be used. I mean, we build so many bombs that will simply never be used. Where would we be if instead of doing that for the last 20, 30, 40 years, we had put the ingenuity? We have more engineers in Huntsville, Alabama per capita than any city in the country. And the majority of them are working on these war efforts that are either going to be used for nefarious purposes or won't be used at all. How much further ahead would we be as a country, as a city, as a as a geographic region in North Alabama in the Tennessee Valley if our our brains and muscles were being used instead of for the military industrial complex? What if we were being used to build and expand something like the TVA, to build new schools, to build new post offices, to build new roads, to fix our infrastructure, to build new libraries, to uh, build houses for homeless people, to build houses for homeless veterans, to build new hospitals, to build to replace the hospitals, the dozens of hospitals across the South that have uh, gone bankrupt and closed uh, uh, because we haven't expanded Medicaid. I mean, think about uh, it's it is really disgusting thinking about how much effort and money and talent is wasted on things that do not make people's lives better. Um, And 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 where we could be without that, where we could be if we put those resources and that time and that talent into something that's actually productive. And we can actually I mean, we can actually literally see something like that when we go back and look at the New Deal and look at what happened with the wartime profits there, where we actually had uh, a war going on that was probably the only righteous war in the last hundred years. Um, and we turned those wartime profits into a domestic production economy where we created goods and services for ourselves and for people overseas. And we had the biggest, uh, I mean, like, you know, the, the thing was the American standard of living, right? This was the big thing, and everybody was going to have two cars and a TV or something. You know, I mean, it was the biggest, the largest GDP year-over-year uh, year increase that we've ever seen was thanks to these programs and uh, the profits after the war. And, and, you know, what if we had just kept doing that instead of, these instead of what we chose to do i mean it's it's really it's really like sad (laughs) to think about how much we've missed but it doesn't just because something is the way that it is right now doesn't mean that it has to be that way into the future and we are the architects of the world that we live in us as working people us as citizens as people and we can always decide to change course and so absolutely i I, and i think that's that is the thing is that if you really believe that another world is possible, you know, everything else can flow from that. I think yep. if you have that belief that we can do better, um, but we have to fight for it. Right. And what you discussed in terms of the New Deal and uh, really the, you know, golden age of the American economy, it wasn't just because, uh, you know, we had folks in office who were a little bit smarter, uh, a little bit uh, more pro-worker. It was because we had a labor movement powerful enough to extract that from our economy, to demand that folks have a social security pension when they retire, and that we have minimum wage laws, and that we get rid of child labor. Um, That was movement power. 
Right. And that's the movement power that we can have again. Uh, and not only can we do that, we have to do that. Right. We have to do that. If we're going to even begin to address some of the major, major crises that we face as a country and as a planet, uh, that's going to be through really the bottom up, not from the top down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right, Adam. Uh, You have been listening to the Valley Labor Report. We are going to go to break really quick, and we will be back with one more segment about the best Christmas present you can give yourself. So make sure you stay tuned. Don't change the dial. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report, and we will be right back. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. Work sucks, we know but you can make it better by organizing with your fellow workers. For more information, call or text the Huntsville Industrial Workers of the World at 256-651-6707. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855-617-9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. 
With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. Welcome back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. We've got one more segment before we let you get back to your Christmas celebration. And that is to tell you that the best Christmas present you can get yourself this year is a union card. And we recommend that you do that. You splurge, you get yourself a nice union card. It's going to take a little bit of effort. It's going to take a little bit of time. But you can do it. We believe in you. Of course, like I said earlier in the program, we are always available to chat if you want to about organizing your workplace. And um, there are several groups of workers across this country who are doing just that and getting a union card for Christmas. Among those workers, just like the baristas in New York and California and Washington, um, there are distillery workers in Nashville, Tennessee, who are organizing with UFCW Local 1995, and they have been facing a Grinch. And you're going to face the Grinch, too, if you try to organize a union wherever you work. So we're going to try to prepare you for that. We're going to tell you what they've been seeing and how that's exactly the same thing that baristas in New York saw. That's exactly the same thing that warehouse workers in Alabama saw. And that's exactly what your boss is going to tell you wherever you work. They're going to tell you some variation of some of these things and some other things. But, of course, it's all predictable. It's so predictable, in fact, that some unions during organizing campaigns pass out union-busting bingo cards. That's right. Where they give workers bingo cards. And every slot, instead of saying A9 or something like that, it's a phrase that the union-busting attorney or your boss, or your supervisor, or whoever they've brought in, or in some cases, politicians are going to tell you about why you shouldn't join a union. They're so predictable, and they are always either lies or misrepresentations of the truth. Mistruths, things like that. Uh, So, when they announced their campaign, they were told that one of their workers uh, was told that people are going to be coming in to educate you about unions. <laughs> so imagine, imagine, be, imagine thinking that you can learn more 
from a union busting attorney about unions than you could from a union member. <laughs> I mean, that, hmm. yeah. And instead of a raise, they're getting union busting attorneys all crawling all over their workplace. And uh, you again, know. think about the billable hours. Right. Uh, <laughs> every moment spent uh, dealing with union busting attorneys uh, and bogus meetings or, yeah. you know, consultants that are brought in. Those are all billable hours. And, and all money that money that could be could be given to the workers. Absolutely. Who, money yeah. that you helped earn for the company right. could be going back in your pocket, but it instead is being spent on propaganda. Yeah. Like uh, David said on Twitter in response to some of these reports, uh, the company is using whenever they pay union-busting attorneys to tell you lies about what unionization will mean for you. They, the company, your boss, is stealing your wages to pay somebody to convince you that they aren't stealing from you. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's, that's yeah, that's a very good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, definitely don't fall for it. Uh, and the two of their workers, and this is some of the intimidation that you're going to face. Two of their workers were pulled aside and lectured for nearly two hours by anti-union lawyers um, yesterday, I believe it was. In their tweet, they said, Christmas is in four days. Uh, and of and and like I said, that's something that workers at Starbucks in New York faced. One of the workers, in fact, dealt with. I believe he said that he was in a meeting with six high-level executives and regional managers for two or three hours individually. An individual worker in a meeting with six other high-level executives to try to convince him not to unionize. I mean, of course, like any 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 conversation that you have at all with people who have supervisory authority over you is coercive in nature. But you know, by by, by its nature, by the fact of the conversation happening, the power dynamics exactly. there. One person has the power to hire or fire and right. that's you know so you're not at a, a equal playing field anyway exactly every conversation that you have with your boss every request quote unquote every everything they say all of their statements are laced with that understanding that this person has the unilateral ability to fire me unless you or in a union workplace, that is. Uh, so consider that. That yeah, and 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 we all know this. When I mean, when we talk to our bosses, we all know, you know people people give their bosses too much respect, frankly. But there is some rightful apprehension with any conversation with your boss. Oh no, my boss wants to talk to me. What did I do? Did I do something wrong? You know, and 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 that's because of that inherent coercion. And so think about uh, being. Uh, 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 having a conversation with six, not only just your immediate level boss, but somebody two or three or four levels above you or the CEO of the company. That's going to happen sometimes to some of you. And you have to know that the reason that they're doing that is because what you're doing is working and what you're doing will work and can work and has worked for other people. So that sort of, that sort of intimidation is going to be very common. And I have to imagine that well, while we know it does work on some people, it really does scare some people. Right. Uh, 
I, I imagine there's also a fair amount of backlash too, because I, I know me personally, and probably many of you listening, uh, were I subjected to such a thing that would only strengthen my resolve, right? And you know, convince me, like you said, that we're doing something positive, right? Um, right. And I think that that I think that that that. There is definitely a, a southern attitude of rebellion that goes unappreciated, especially by people in the media and people who, you know, I mean, there are some people that <laughs> think that, that that love being told what to do by their boss and love, you know, being trampled on and things like that. But I don't think the average working Alabamian likes that. I think the average working Alabamian knows how to do their job. They know that they know how to do their job and the best way for them to do their job is for the boss to get off their back and leave them alone and let them work. And having that sort of autonomy and independence is what being in a union workplace can give you and why your boss is going to be so willing to fight it. Because they don't want you to have that autonomy and independence. They want they want that for themselves. And so we have to take it, of course. And um and 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 another thing about another intimidation factor. So you know, sometimes you're gonna face good bosses and bad bosses. I've been in organizer trainings and, and there are some some archetypal boss caricatures that you can see and so some of them is going to be the good boss and the sad boss and you know they're telling you oh no I'm so disappointed in myself that I <laughs> that I that I allowed our relationship to weaken to this point or right whatever. and you know they do the good cop bad cop routine right. um, and so the bad cop here is one of their new the new company policy at this distillery in Nashville Tennessee is that if you test positive but don't have symptoms and you're vaccinated, you're free to come into work and spread it to your coworkers and the customers. <laughs> I mean, but then I'm sure they, they will uh, assure you that your safety and well-being uh, as an employee yeah, is course, paramount. And so there would be no need for a union to come in and no. you know oversee such a thing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Despite the fact that they're cut they're telling their employees to come in when they're infected with COVID. Uh they care about your safety, and of course they care about the customer. Oh, I'm sure they care about the customer so much. Um, and so, you know, you're going to see things like that, and you're going to see the opposite thing. One of the, uh, 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 something that they saw at Amazon in Bessemer was basically the opposite, where they got extra breaks, or they got some extra time on their breaks, or or uh, they got some attaboys, or some pizza parties, or things like this. You're going to get both sides of the spectrum, but all of it come whether they're giving you an extra five minutes on your break, whether they're giving you a pizza party, or whether they're going to make whether they're making you come in while you're infected with COVID, or whether they are uh, you know uh, punishing you or rewarding you. All of it comes from a a desire for you not to have power and that is all the more reason to do it because their their resistance to it is evidence of its effectiveness and and of course we can also look at evidence of, of its effectiveness by you know looking at facts and figures and and you know the reality of of working in a union workplace versus working in a non-union workplace uh but for some reason, the facts and logic people don't like to talk about those facts and that logic. Right. Uh, but I think what you're saying, though, is so, so true. Whether they come at you with the carrot or come at you with the stick, just keep going. 
Don't right. be detour- deterred. Uh, and and the more you can be aware of these sort of things, and you kind of, you've heard what Jacob just said, you you're going to recognize these phrases and these slogans and these tactics. Uh, and the better prepared you are, the mm-hmm. better you can weather that. Uh, again, carrot or stick doesn't matter. Keep organizing. Right. Push, push through it. Right. 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 I, that's uh, there is. You the 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 only reason that they don't want you to ha- you to have a union is because they want to take advantage of you. That's the only reason. That's the only reason that they they don't want you to have a union. If they weren't taking advantage of you, then they wouldn't care whether you had a union or not. Right. They could just open up the books for you and say, "Look, this is what we can afford. Th- this is what I'm paid. Uh, this is what everybody else. This is what our shareholders are paid. This is what you're paid. This is all." And, and you know what? That yeah. actually does happen sometimes. I, right. I, we have to be fair that sometimes there are companies and organizations that voluntarily recognize uh, mm-hmm. when their workers organize a union uh, and have a very collaborative right. bargaining process. It's not that it's not possible. It totally is, which right. I think. If anything, just really proves our point even more that, um, you know, those those organizations and companies that are so resistant, they right. kick up such a fuss about it. There's a reason for that. I mean, and and you can't help but be suspicious. Right. Right. And so uh, we're going to leave you with that on this Christmas episode. Our Christmas present to you is a little bit of that inoculation where when you go into your organizing campaign, you are going to have, hopefully, this episode and some of some of our other episodes. Of course, we've got several other episodes where we talk about some of this kind of stuff. You're going to have that in the back of your head, and you're going to, when your boss says these things, when your boss does these things, you're going to remember, oh, this happened to this worker, and this happened to these people in this state. And, uh... And what happened after the union won or after the union lost? Uh, you know, none of these bad things came to pass, or things went back to normal after the union lost, or after the union won, people actually got raises. People went on strike and got raises. People went on strike and won health care and all these things. And so, you know, I think we're all more familiar with inoculation than we were a couple of years ago. And so that's what you know. That, that's a very important thing when you're organizing is is to know what you're going to be coming up against. And so that's one of the reasons that we do this show. Uh, but this has been the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. Uh, you can find us all over the place online. You can become a sustaining member of the show on unionly.io slash o slash tvlr. And we will see you next week. The Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Thank you.